Good morning. Welcome to this assembly of the Laurel Heights Church of Christ. I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 4 in just a moment. We hope everything is going well in your life. Beyond the ordinary matters of earthly existence, we hope your relationship with God is your priority and that you are here to be informed and motivated to grow spiritually, to take another step in the direction of God and your relationship with Him. We have the book that provides for that growth. In this book, I'm reading now from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I therefore... A prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Let me begin with a brief reference to some history about Paul and the church at Ephesus. The Apostle Paul, in fact, was there in Ephesus when people first heard the gospel and responded. This is according to the history that is written by Luke in the book of Acts. Paul came to Ephesus. <clears throat> he found people who knew only about John and John's baptism. So Paul taught them and Acts 19 verse 5 says they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So a local church was now formed in Ephesus. Now, move years later. Paul is a captive who is imprisoned and he's writing to the people in Ephesus who had obeyed the gospel, the church in Ephesus, and he's writing with an interest toward their spiritual welfare. See, baptism is necessary, and Paul had taught them and they had been baptized. But then there is after baptism, faithful discipleship is necessary. Furtherance in knowledge and conviction and strength and unity. I want us to observe in the first verse of chapter 4 in Ephesians, Paul urges the Christians in Ephesus to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they were called. That simply means you were baptized. That represented your commitment to Jesus Christ. 
your interest in being forgiven by him, but also your commitment to live a certain way after baptism. Baptism, you see, begins a walk. It begins a new life. It is a calling. We must be mindful and active in that regard on a daily basis. We've made a long-term commitment to live according to the teachings of Jesus Christ when we're baptized. If that commitment is slighted or reduced or abandoned altogether, we're no longer walking in a manner worthy of our calling. Now, walking in that manner specifies a certain temperament, a certain attitude to be maintained with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. To walk worthy of our calling, everything written in verse 2 needs to be present in our hearts and our behavior. Likewise, the commitment to unity that comes now at verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is devoted to the spiritual welfare and growth and unity of the Christians who assemble together in Ephesus. The church is God's plan. The church universal is God's plan. The daily expression of that is in commitment to God where you are and in commitment to God with others. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This morning, I want us to concentrate on verses 4 through 6. Listen please, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In the ancient city of Ephesus, there was now a group of Christians, a local church composed of people who had accepted the obligations that are stated here to walk worthy of their calling, to think, act, and speak with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. But likewise, having the obligation to stay together and to be united, it says here, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. These people live in a pagan worldly culture. The Apostle Paul was writing from prison. Persecution of Christians was well underway at this time. How do they persevere? What keeps them together? What core convictions connect them to the Lord and to each other? We're going to see the answer. The question is, what core convictions connect them to the Lord and to each other? There is one body and one spirit, 
Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Passages like this in the Bible are not favorably embraced by our contemporaries. I mean, this is not popular stuff here. In denominational churches and large community churches, you might not hear much about what we're going to study. This is politically and religiously incorrect because today diversity and plurality is celebrated as virtuous. The accepted norm today is division is good. Disagreement and diversity is to be upheld. We are urged to be relevant even if absolute truth is crucified. But no matter what modern culture is shouting at us every day, this is where we stand. And this is how we stand together. There is one body. Ladies and gentlemen, the estimates are there are over 30,000 denominations worldwide. Almost 50 years ago, when I first started preaching, the figure was 600 denominations. Now, since denominations are man-made and subject to continual divisions... While it is hard to have an exact figure, it's always increasing. 30,000 denominations worldwide. I want you to look at this page in your Bible at verse 4. And look at four words. There is one body. Four words. In Ephesians 4, verse 4. That's easy to remember. There is one body. Now, what about that one body? Hold your place and turn back. In most Bibles, it's just going to be one page. And find Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I understand how unpopular this is, but the current religious and social climate is not what keeps us together. And must not render us silent. There is one body, the church. One is baptized into that body. It is singular. Rather than drive yourself crazy studying and comparing 30,000 denominations, what our message is... Read this book, obey the gospel, and be added to the one body. This is what God wants. This is our message. 
This is at the core of the convictions that enable us to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. There is one Spirit. Scripture speaks of God, of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You can stay right here in Ephesians and learn about the Holy Spirit. For example, back in chapter 3, Paul revealed the gospel, spoke and wrote epistles by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is just a page over from Ephesians 4. This is Ephesians 3. Listen to Paul. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you may perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Singular. Not the spirits, but the Spirit. That's Ephesians 3, 1 to 5. It was by the Spirit that the writers of the New Testament were able to reveal exactly what God willed to be revealed. Think of it this way. Uh, there is not at the end of the New Testament a bibliographical list of endnotes or footnotes, a lengthy list of many different sources and references and documentations for human sources. There is one body, one spirit, one hope. Hope is about what you aspire to, your purpose, your destination. Christians who are united under the authority of Christ are not in conflict or divided about their destination. It is heaven. Among true Christians there is no debate, no rivalry, no arguments about where we are headed and where we want to be someday. Where we hope to spend eternity. When we obeyed the gospel, we were answering the call out of sin through Christ to God and with the hope of entering his presence eternally. One body that we belong to. One spirit that gave us the truth that we are loyal to. One hope that we aspire to. It's heaven. There is one Lord. Can you imagine serving more than one Lord? What if the different Lords had different ideas about what we should do? You'd have to pick one. What if one Lord was over many other Lords and they were over other Lords and all of them entered into conflict and competition? But we don't have to 
worry about all that because for us who've obeyed the gospel, who are members of the one body motivated by the same hope, there's one Lord, Jesus Christ. We do all in the name of the Lord. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith. I wonder... If you interviewed 10 people randomly selected and you had one question for them, what their answer would be. And in this interview, your question would be, how many faiths are there? Do you think anybody just out on the street would say there's just one? It might even be stated that there are over 30,000 faiths. And if discussion ensued, you would probably hear people say, well, you have your faith and I have my faith, and all these other people out here, they've got their individual faiths that they have crafted. Eventually, as that kind of thinking is extended, you wind up having the same number of faiths as there are people. Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus and he said, there's one faith. See, that's what keeps us together. That's how we maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. When I read the Word of God and I believe in Jesus Christ and I rely on what the Holy Spirit has revealed on these pages, I have one faith and it's the same faith you have if you come from the same source. When you read the word and you believe it and you respond obediently, you have the faith that I have, but you didn't get it from me and I didn't give it to you. We got it from God. And thus we are able to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one baptism. I want you to think about another interview. And this time the question is, how were you baptized and for what purpose? And I think there would be multiple answers. Some were baptized as an infant without any knowledge or agreement in the process. Have you seen the YouTube videos of little babies a few days old being baptized? Have you noted any agreement on their part about the process. Some were baptized as an infant without any knowledge or agreement about what was happening and what they were doing. No choice involved at all. Some were sprinkled. Some baptized thinking of it as something they do after they were saved. Some baptized just to have an entry into a denomination. So you have all these different answers about baptisms. Paul says there's one. You remember I said earlier that Paul took the gospel to Ephesus. I want to go back there just for a moment to that passage. It's in Acts 19 when Paul took the gospel to Ephesus. He visited Ephesus and he preached the gospel and they knew only about John and John's baptism. So Paul instructed them further and I want you to look at Acts 19.5 
on hearing this. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the one baptism. When they heard the gospel, there was one baptism. Not John's. John's baptism functioned before Jesus died. Paul arrives in Ephesus after the death of Christ. And when they heard him preach the gospel of Christ, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. One baptism. See, that's how we maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. These are the core connecting convictions that Christians hold. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. See, just any immersion or anything called baptism isn't sufficient. Many denominations practice baptism, but not the one described in Scripture. That is essential for the remission of sins. If you've been baptized, it's imperative that you make certain your baptism is in harmony with what the Scripture teaches. Because there is one baptism. Then, it comes as no surprise that within this list of core convictions that we are able to have to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace... There is one God. As you read the Old Testament, it is clear one continuing problem among God's people was idolatry. Pagan culture, believing in many gods. So over and over, God exhibited himself in many many ways asserting his singular authority over the people. And one way he did this was through the words of the prophets. God would send the prophets out with their words. And here's one case in Malachi 2 and verse 10. It is in the form of inquiries. And God gave the prophet these words, Have we not all one Father? And then there's the follow-up. Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? God created all. He is the Father of all. He is over all. He sustains all. Thus we are able to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace because of these connecting convictions that are singular and exclusive. God's blessings make it possible for us to live and His blessings in Christ make it possible for us to live right and to die in His favor. God has furnished us with abundant evidence of his singular power and existence. Paul wrote of this in Romans 1 in 18 through 20. The wrath of God, not the wrath of gods, the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God, singular, is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. No one can argue that God has not revealed Himself. Evidence of His existence is clearly seen all around us. Now, in our Ephesians passage, I'd like for you to notice how the one God is described. And this description has the content of His power that each of us ought to recognize. Father of all, who is over all and through all, And to these Christians, Paul said, and in you all. When you are baptized into the one body, we are agreeing with all this, that God is our Father and that He is over all, and we've decided we must submit to Him. And then He takes up His abode in His people. And as we continue to walk worthy of our calling, God is present In our lives, the one God. Listen carefully, please. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called in the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I've had a destination in dealing with this passage this morning. When you learn the truth from the one God about the one Lord and you embrace that one faith, submitting to the one baptism, you are added to the one body. And you now have the one hope that is revealed in the Word by the one Spirit. Why not be baptized into Christ this morning? We invite that response while we stand together to sing. Bear the cross along.